Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome on this uh, this beautiful Monday evening. My name is Gregory Ajid, and we have uh, Mr. Darian Douglas in the house. What's up, Mr. Douglas? Hey, Mr. Gregory Ajid. I'm over here pushing all the buttons, turning all the dials, and I'm happy to be back in action with you for the second week in a row after your long break in Antarctica. You know, nope. you know, man, we're like Batman and Robin, dude. You know, it's just the world's not right if, if it's... <laughs> That's true. Fighting crime true. and all kinds of true, stuff. Man. I had I had a good time without you, but it's really great that you're back. And today, man, we got a really special guest in the house. It's, you know, we got Miss Adi Meyerson with us, and she's the, the only the second person in our long history. We've been out here since 2016, 2017, and she's only the second person to do a repeat we don't be letting anybody repeat, you know. Everybody asks, we say, nah, we got we got to get every, we got to get to the other people, you know. But That's how you gotta, know you're one of the baddest of the bad. <laughs> she's one of the baddest of the bad, man. She's, uh, you know, just so everybody knows, she's played with everybody. You probably saw her on Jimmy Fallon. You've seen her around New York City. Probably saw her somewhere else in the world. She's originally from uh, Israel. Go ahead. What you going to say? Well, I was going to say she played with you last night, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, you know she famous because she played with me last night. You understand? I'm just saying, man, when anyone walks off the bandstand, being able to tell people they play with Darian Douglas, like that is like game changer. <laughs> I know, man. I know. You know, it's it's not every day, you know, that I, you know. Anyway, <laughs> I, I D is a is a wonderful person and uh, also a phenomenal musician, and she's got a brand new record to talk about today. That's called "I Want to Sing My Heart Out in Praise of Life." And uh, why don't we go ahead and bring ID on the show so we can get right into the music. Welcome ID Meyerson to the Working Artist Project. Hey. You're supposed to do this. <laughs> speech, speech, speech. speech right? <laughs> ID, how you doing? Hey, what's up? Hey. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know what? I you know something, Greg? I did not know ID was on Jimmy Fallon until I read her. She sent me just a bio. Works. You know, yeah. just just <laughs> no, no, no. Don't play it down. Don't play it down. <laughs> well, who it who are you fun. playing with? I was playing with. Um, I was in the string section, so it was like Little Cruda strings, and then we were playing with um, Liam Gallagher from Oasis. Killing. Um, yeah, it was fun. And and so so you're a bassist who knows how to play arco. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Kind of. I, I, I didn't realize it was like, you know, sorry, I'm a clarinet player. And I re remember one day I had to ask a bass player to play something on the bow. And, and it was not as easy as I anticipated. <laughs> That's actually like a, I mean, a huge skill. Yeah. No, it is. It is a huge skill. And I don't, I'm not classically trained or anything. So I'm really lucky that um, <laughs> I get to practice that skill and people actually trust me to play the bow. But yeah. I like doing string work. You said the the person you was playing, the name was Liam. I'm like Liam Neeson. Like, damn, man. Like, oh. but that's that's not that's that's you know the band person. Oasis. 
Yeah, yeah, of course. So yeah, he, I know that he was the lead singer, I think, of Oasis. Oh, word. And he word, just word, was word, like, word. I'm going to do a solo thing now. Ah, okay, but okay. That's what's cool. up. That's what's up. All right. So Jimmy Fallon, um, you moved to New York in 2012. You've been here for a minute. Now you're working on your second record. And this, this record is kind of special because, you well, one, you got a grant to do the record. We didn't really uh, talk about that. And also, it's it's more of like you explaining like the journey of, of life, kind of like the ups and downs of life, going through depression and really getting in touch with yourself. I kind of want to get right into that and, and talk about what that was like, the whole journey and the process of you uh, being inspired to write this record. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Um, where do I start? Start at the beginning. beginning. I want to, I want to hear the story. You was at the, the museum out here, right? Oh uh, yeah. So I went, the story is, I think it was 2017. I went with a friend to, um, this gallery in Chelsea that I like. Um, I like the work that they carry called David's Warner. And by the way, if nobody knows this, um, all the galleries in New York are free. It's actually like the best kept secret in the city. So if you like art and you don't want to pay like a ton of money for a museum, go gallery hopping. Just a little side note. But yeah, we went to this, she invited me to come see the show. I never, I didn't even like know about it. Um, I went with her and another friend of hers. And I remember it being really cold and we kind of were like waiting in line um, to see this artist's work. And somebody from the gallery like handed, handed us out this like piece of paper with like the artist statement and just kind of what the exhibit's about. So yeah, I read it and I was like, oh shit, this is kind of deep. Like I have it somewhere, but um, I think it's in my like files somewhere. But she was kind of saying like that with her art, what, um, what she wants to do is kind of like make the world a better place. And like, this is like her escape from, you know, the messed up shit that happens in the world. And this art kind of keeps her sane. So that piqued my curiosity. And then when I saw the art, I was like, it was a combination of um, her infinity rooms, which have actually made her really famous and um, a lot of her paintings. So when I saw the colors in the paintings, I was like, oh, these colors kind of correspond, co like, yeah, they correspond with like um, the colors I see when I hear and read music. Cause I have this thing called synesthesia and colors are connected to pitches and to letters and to notes and all that stuff, but they're kind of abstract. So it's kind of hard to like pin it down. So then this idea of like maybe writing music based on like inspired by this art kind of like developed in the back of my head. I think I even put some notes to paper at some point, but they were kind of like, I never ended up going back and using it. And then a couple of like a year or so later, I went to grad school and one of the assignments we had was to write um, a short like piece of music based on some like outside artistic influence. Um, so I kind of was like, oh yeah, there was that thing I wanted to do like last year. So then I kind of started exploring that and then kind of like getting deep into that idea. I applied for the grant um, and then I decided to make it a five or six part suite and like expand the initial like piece I wrote and change things and make it into like, cause I thought it was pretty cool. So I was like, you know, let me, let, let me do something with this. And then, yeah. So then I put on a show at school with like the first draft of this 
um, as a student project. And then like about a month later, I got the grant. And then like a week later, everything shut down. <laughs> Literally, they announced the day they, they, the press release for the grant recipients came out the day the shutdown was announced. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. Um, so that was a little weird, but um, yeah. So then it was like, there was this project and there was a pandemic and um, I ended up recording it during the pandemic. And now eight months later, fast forward, it is now out. So just, so just out of curiosity, so you had finished all the music and then you went and applied for the grant. So, you know, I guess here. At the, no, I, no, I, I applied for the grant. Like I only had like two, two charts and no recordings. Um, I think I sent in demos and then I sent in some other um, work samples that kind of sound. I don't even remember what I sent in, to be honest. It was so long ago. It was like October of 2018. <laughs> no, October 2019. October of 2019. Um, but I, I didn't have a recording of the music. I may have had like an iPhone recording or something of one of the songs, but like only two songs were written at the time. So... I think a big a big theme uh, that Darren and I have been talking about very frequently over the last couple of months have been grants. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm just wondering, has, has this, was this your first grant that you wrote? And and maybe yes. what uh, can you talk, tell us more about the grant and and how or why why you were awarded the grant? I mean, I can try. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's not the it's the first grant. I have. You can brag. It's okay. <laughs> This is the That's first grant I wrote that I had to like actually write a proper proposal. I've applied for um, a couple other grants, but that those were just like purely based on like work samples. Um, so, so yeah, I wrote the grant is called the um, it's by NIFA, New York Foundation of the Arts, and it was um, the first cycle of the women's grant. Um, there was the first year that they opened it up to music as well. And kind of, I think it kind of started as like a film and visual art grant. And then my year was the year they opened it up to music. And I don't know, I guess they just dug the idea and the project. And, you know, there was this whole concept of like writing music based on this art and based on this artist's life. And, you know, after checking out the art, I kind of started digging a little deeper into her life and like reading her autobiography and just like reading about her and just like what really what's going on. And a lot of it kind of resonated with me as an artist, as like a what, woman. What parts, what parts of her? Well, she, she, she's in her nineties right now. So she moved to New York in the sixties. Um, she's Japanese. She's an immigrant. She just moved here with like nothing. Basically she, she found in Japan, it was really hard for her to practice art as a woman because it just like wasn't acceptable. Um, so she was really inspired by Georgia O'Keeffe and she just like wrote her a letter and Georgia O'Keeffe was like, come to New York. Um, so then she went to New York to find her in the sixties. So this was like Andy Warhol, like the height of like the avant-garde, like American art, like all of this Keith Haring. And she kind of was like trying to, to make a name for herself in that scene, but because she was a woman and she like wasn't American, then she got, she got pushed aside a lot and a lot of people kind of tried to copy her work and got credit for it when she was actually doing these infinity rooms. She's been doing these since the sixties, like these like crazy rooms. And she only, she suffers from, you know, depression, anxiety. I think she also has like other conditions. Um, but like, I guess just like the idea of, 
her art being like her escape is something that kind of resonated with me. And like, as a woman, as an artist, as a person who also suffers from like depression and anxiety to an extent, um, I'm kind of like, oh, wow, this is, this is very relatable to me. And I like this. So she only like really got famous, I think in the 2000s, like when phones and cameras and social media and stuff started popping up, like either it was like the night, the late nineties or the early two thousands. And like this woman was in her like seventies already. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's interesting, man. I, I think, you know, right now and Greg, maybe you can attest to this too, because of the pandemic and having so much time to like be with oneself. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, a lot of artists, especially realize that they were depressed. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, like sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you you don't know because you're so busy. You're running from gig to gig. You're tired. You're this and that. You know, you have the high, the high of creating your art, but when that high is taken away, you just got to deal with how you really feel. Sometimes you know? you're so depressed you don't even know you're depressed. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it's more just like also like we get so busy and so wrapped up in the like, you know, we kind of run away from. It's kind of like an escape from it. It's like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna leave and I'm gonna go. You never, you don't have to like sit with yourself. So, you know, what was funny is like over the the pandemic, I had this moment where I was asking myself, like, if I'm not depressed, can I still create art? You know, because <laughs> for such a long time, like that 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 sense of um, I don't know despair or lethargy or you know what whatever it was, like that 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 feeling was always a motivation for creating art. And at some point in the pandemic, I was like, what happens if I don't hate myself? Can I still like, can I still create? Can I still write some good songs if I'm not yeah. broken? Like, Or if you don't hate other people. Right. You know, like for me, my my whole motivation is is anger, actually. I know I seem like a nice guy, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm, I'm just pissed at everybody. Fuck everybody, man. That's how I feel inside. <laughs> That's my motivation. It's from like, you know, Greg, when you when you're a kid and you sad. You know, you just you just hold on to that. And so I think I've been holding on to that, like not being very good as a kid and always trying to like, you know what I mean? And, yeah. And so I was I was thinking about that when I was reading your reading this, uh, your liner notes. And I was like, man, this is interesting. I, I wonder how this really came through in the music for you. You know, like where you did you were you like a character actor where you like got in there? You like heat leisure fucking, you know, like what what really happened when you were alone creating yeah. this, this piece? I mean, yeah, it's like just sitting with, just being alone in general, like sitting with myself, like really just being in the same space, not seeing people for like weeks at a time. Cause I was like completely by myself for a really long time. It was, um, it's a lot. It was a lot. That's a crazy thing too. Cause as people, we're not supposed to be alone. <laughs> You not know, like that, we, no. We we can be alone for like short periods of time, but at the end of the day, it's like you know the the human to human human interaction and connection is is uh, really like right. how all learning and and humanity take place. Right. It was like, yeah, it was just kind of crazy because I also didn't realize like how how social our jobs are, and I consider myself a very introverted person. Like I really need my alone time. I need my quiet. Like I don't going out into social settings doesn't necessarily energize me all the time, but all of a sudden I was just like by myself for a really long time. Like, and then I didn't have roommates at the time. I didn't have any, like, you know, I was just by myself in my apartment. 
and was like, oh, wow, this is, um, sometimes it was really great. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> sometimes I was like, wow, this is great. And other times I was just like, this sucks. I'm unhappy. Did you, uh, well, besides, besides writing and composing, did you find any other ways of um, kind of making use of the time or this, this new little era that we have? I mean, it was kind of funny because I was actually in school when it all happened. So I had to finish grad school um, to get through that. Mm -hmm. So I still had to like push through like the first three months of that. How does one get a, how does one complete grad school by themselves in music in their apartment? Great, what does great, that look like? Great That's why university is bullshit. It's bullshit. Uh, a lot of classes, yeah, a lot of teachers were like, well, just write a paper and we'll pass you. A lot of classes was like, okay, if you can record at home, do some recording projects. Um, we would meet, some classes would meet like the more luxury kind of style classes. Like I still had to write my big band chart, still had to show up for jazz history. Um, still had to, you know, combo. We would just like get on Zoom and talk for an hour because um, everyone was in like different places. Um, we tried to do some remote recording, but it was like, it was crazy. That's almost like a different major. <laughs> it really is. But I did, I, I cooked a lot. I learned how to cook during the pandemic because like there was nowhere to go. So I had to like make my own food and it was also just something to do. It was literally something to do throughout the day. Um, I read a lot of books. I painted. I started painting, like, seriously. And into that. I would listen to, like, Questlove's DJing every night. Um, after oh, I that's right. He was work. doing the live yeah, streams. Yeah. I did all my homework, my schoolwork, everything. But um, I kind of, like, didn't do anything that had to do with music after I graduated for, like, two or three months. I kind of was just like, I don't want to even touch the bass. I don't want to practice. I don't want to write. I don't want to do anything because... I just needed to like process what was happening. And it was the time when everyone was like going outside again. It was like around June. So I kind of spent the summer just like biking and hanging out and I moved and, and then I kind of started to get back into it and get back in the studio and like, you know, get the charts together, play some music. And but yeah, the music itself, like it's just, I think the lyrics are, are kind of, this is like the first time I've, presented music um with like a lot of lyrics I guess you would say like my first album has a song with lyrics but it's kind of like it's a little bit more abstract it's a little short um this was like I'm like here's a song there's two songs that have like a story to them they're very to the point um and like spoke there's spoken word I didn't write the lyrics for the spoken word but I asked my friend to um, do their thing on it. And so there's, there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of words. Um, I, I want to get into to this song cage bird, just because okay. it's kind of the vibe, the vibe we're talking about right now is, and I'm curious, like, I'm sure you wrote this locked in your house, looking out your balcony onto your Actually, I wrote it, I wrote it street. a little bit before. Okay. I started it. Like I finished, I finished most of the writing, like, like a little bit before lockdown and then I came back and like edited things and just like came back to it but like the core of it was kind of done even before the pandemic which is even funnier damn so yeah, yeah. yeah. you were you <laughs> was, was really it. going through some shit <laughs> I was in it I was in, I didn't even know I was in it but I was in it all right so that's it man you're, you're ahead of your time <laughs> that's right <laughs> 
So let's dig this one and uh, we'll we'll talk about it after. Caged Bird. What do you see as the meaning of the term revolutionary? Well, there's no single simple meaning of the term revolutionary. A revolutionary is a man or a woman with a lot of things, but basically, the revolutionary wants Alright, y'all. That's all y'all get. Y'all gotta go get the record. Y'all gotta go buy the record for the rest, man. <laughs> Yo, wow, wow. See, that's you know what I always say, Greg. Bass players write the best songs, man. This is crazy. That's see, that's beautiful, man. That, that that's Camille Thurman on that, right? Yep. 
Woo. Who, else you, who else you had on that? Um, Marquise Hill and trumpet and Drummond on flute. Um, I think Lucas is playing tenor. So yeah, Lucas Pino on tenor saxophone on that track. Um, the rest of the record though, he plays bass clarinet, bass clarinet. And then Sam Tows on keys and um, Kush Abadie on drums. See, that's my drum crush right there. Kush <laughs> Abadie. That's one. All those people on that record are just. Yeah. So, so, so that was Camille singing and, yeah. and, and uh, Lucas playing tenor. Awesome. Wow. That's amazing. What's so, yeah, you were mentioning like Derry and said bass players make the best records. So like, what's mm -hmm. like for, for people who, I mean, you can, you, this is for me, fuck, you know, fuck it. <laughs> but like, what's, what's it like being a bass player? And like, again, like having to put together um, music again, because the bass is not traditionally like the instrument that's in the forefront or in the front leading a band. So what, what's that experience like being a band leader as a bassist? Um, yeah, it's um it's definitely like it was a learning process, I guess. Um because it's it's a lot harder because you're not in the forefront of the band or playing the melodies or doing that. So when I put together a band, I really I try to get people that like um I can also like kind of it's not going to be like I don't know. They I it's kind of going to be like a team like we're all going to be a team like yeah i wrote the music i put it together like i'm queuing i'm you're going off of me but like sometimes i need your help to cue things or like to do things and so i try to put bands like that together that and it's this band is so much fun like we had the best session always fun to play live too or we only played live twice but <laughs> the two times that it happened it was really fun um because this music has a lot of a lot of cues and a lot of like just unwritten things in it um, so yeah, it's been, it's been cool, but I kind of like, I just remember when I started thinking about leading a band, I kind of was like, I realized that there's as bass, as a bass player, there's, there's a handful of ways to do it, but like two really stood out to me. It was like, one of them is like Mingus. So you kind of, you lead through your compositions, like you lead through the music itself. Um, and there's all these things that are written out in the music. And then there's bass players that like, more like Abishai Cohen and stuff like that, that kind of like really just lead through um, the actual like playing and like really put the bass in in the orchestration and in the arrangement they kind of put the bass up front a little more I personally was like I kind of gravitate a little bit more towards like the Mingus style of band leading um, but it's been a learning process I guess but it's definitely been a part of me and I'm happy that I'm finally like this is a part of me doing it you know lead, lead the band from from the back you know, is a, is a special yeah. thing, you know, and for, it's not like, we're, we're not like you guys, Greg, you know, like clarinet and saxophone players who just get up there and just play all fucking day. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we <laughs> all right, Frankie. Me and Frankie are two different people, okay? No, are but, you though? But you, <laughs> yeah, are you? I don't know. I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> but you you got you guys know what I mean though like yeah. the, the the saxophone players and stuff the horn players they get to play all the time they're soloing and for us we get one solo a night so we got to make it count you know hey man so, y'all play y'all soloing the whole night what are you talking about true. I know some bass players and drummers <laughs> just do nothing but solo <laughs> not not us see me and the D we got this thing called groove discipline mm -hmm. so we mm -hmm. just we just put play down the middle you know what I'm saying. <laughs> But <laughs> so it's, it's it's different because it's not like even the way the band is set up. I do you can't I you can and that you that's can't just honestly been like the biggest struggle is like 
even like at Minton's, it's like, you know, there's no way for me to be in the front of the stage on a small stage like that. And it's like, you know, it's kind of a thing that I need to figure out kind of like, okay, where do I place the horns? Like, how do I do this so that everyone can be seen? Um, but I don't know. I think, I feel like, you know, as, as we're having this conversation, I feel like that might be the true spirit of jazz is democracy. You know, maybe, maybe you don't need the boisterous band leader in the front kind of peacock and, and telling everyone what to do. And, and I think maybe, maybe a band could be more effectively and efficiently led from like a, you know, a strong silent leader that is, is leading, but not craving attention. Although I do have the best outfits. You do? <laughs> this is true. This is true. Whoa. Whoa. Like if it's my band, well, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to outdress you. We, oh, well, this oh. is the thing I did. You unless, I have Godwin, unless I have Godwin in my band. Uh, yeah. See Godwin. Shout out to Godwin. Yeah. Godwin. My dude. <laughs> we didn't, we, Greg, we didn't even get into ID's modeling career. Cause she, huh? she's also uh, a model, man. You got to check out, check out her Instagram. And you guys can really, no. uh, <laughs> y'all. Yeah, absolutely. She's also a great photographer. So. But you, you're very, very multi-talented. Uh, <laughs> you know, as I think, I think that's actually a good point. Maybe we should sit on this for a second. It is so important to dress nice when you play a freaking gig. <laughs> you know, it is. it's a, it's. It is. I, I know so many cats show up with the. You know, there's nothing wrong with a black t-shirt, but you know, just like wearing like shorts and whatever. <laughs> just like. honestly, if it's, yeah, you can wear shorts, you can wear sneakers, you can wear a t-shirt, but you gotta look nice. You gotta look fly. Like you, you gotta look stylish. Like, I don't care if you're wearing sweatpants, but you got to look flat. Like, that's that's the dress code. That's always going to be the dress code. It's like, do you, but like, if you're in my band, it's like, do you, but like, look good. You don't have to wear, you don't have to wear a suit or a dress shirt to look good, but you, you mm-hmm. have to look sharp and like, and like stylish because if, yeah. You're either looking good or you're not looking exactly. good. Exactly. There's like good or not good. <laughs> Whatever good means to you, like. I've seen people look real ratty in a suit. <laughs> you, you know, so we're just talking about fashion right now. And for me, you know, my fashion is impeccable. But I see my pops of color, they come in my socks, you know. My socks are always crazy. You can, you can tell how I feel that day by looking at my socks, you know. I'm never wearing solid color black socks. That is, that's boring. You know what I'm saying? And ID... She always has a dope jacket on. Like you almost got me yesterday because she came in with all black, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's weird." And then <laughs> right before we play, bam, it's a peacock jacket. Like, check me out, and I was like, "Ah, there it is." For the record, Svetlana did specifically request that jacket. Oh, oh um, yeah, sure she did. Just sure for the did. record, <laughs> I got a text earlier that day, being like, "Wear this," with a picture of oh. me wearing that jacket. Um, oh, cool. But. But yeah, no, but I mean, I think the band leaders I work with too, like, I'm never going to outdress, I'm not trying to like outdress a band leader. Um, but like, if they're like, yeah, do whatever you want, then I'll like, they're like, oh, wear something colorful. Yeah, like, I want you to do that. But my default will always be like a black, something black with like colorful shoes or something. I don't know. But yeah, so Alana gave, she always gives me the green light to like, to like, do colorful things. And if she wants me to not do colorful things, she um, specifically writes it. Oh, okay. In All the right. email. <laughs> don't, don't do, don't do what I did. Do Greg and whatever the band leader say, do, do the opposite. You know, don't <laughs> do that. That, that, that'll get you in trouble. Man. <laughs> yeah, as long as you do what the band leader says, you'll be, you'll be 
fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you keep working at least. Right. So for this record, Dave Liebman was was a big influence on you kind of putting the putting pen to the paper, right? Yeah, he was the he gave me the assignment. Ah, and, and like, so oh, okay. It was when it was in his class, him and Phil Markowitz's class. Um, so that's where it kind of started. And then I actually yeah, follow the red dot um and um infinity are actually like um, they started from that. That was like the sketch. And then I changed it up um, a little bit after the class to like make it fit. Just like, you know, just like touched it up a little bit, changed some things, added some parts, added some voices. Um, are, are you writing the lyrics mm-hmm. or are you leaving it? Oh, wow. Okay. And the only and thing so- I didn't write on this record was um, on the first song on Prelude, um, my friend Ed and Gurma did the spoken word and I asked them to write the, the words for it. It was just kind of like do your thing on it. And then they sent me an email with like the, the like I sent them the music, they listened to it and then they sent me an email being like, hey, is this, this is something I came up with. Is this cool? And it was beautiful. And I was like, yes, of course. Like they're such, yeah, such a genius, like so much love. Um, unfortunately, they do not live in New York, but uh, maybe one day. If you're how did you this. get inspiration to use Angela Davis on this this last track? That was Angela. Yeah, right? it was Angela. Um, I hope Angela is okay with it because um, I really love and respect Angela. But um, I was actually reading. I was reading Women, Class, and Race. Like, when did I start reading that book? I think at the, like, while I was writing the music, so it must have been, like, um, like, fall of 2019, I started getting into Angela Davis and reading some of her work, and I was like, oh, shit. Um, She also has the same birthday as me, so I was like, okay, this person must be cool. No, just (laughs) kidding. (laughs) She does have the same birthday as me, though, but, um, no, I really, I really love her and her work and everything, and it was so funny. The other day, um, a memory popped up on Facebook um, from like a day at the beginning of 2020 or something, or like January 2020 or or like December of 2019 being like, today I had a day off. And all I did was like read Women, Class and Race and watch Great British Baking Show and paint and practice and cook. And like, wow, this was so nice. And then four months later, like that was my quarantine. that was my quarantine routine so like yeah I just started getting into her and I kind of got into it through the um before the pandemic and through the pandemic and I just kind of like all that kind of resonant those texts resonated and Maya Angelou too I was reading a lot of her work in like 2018 um and like her poetry and her books and stuff and just like the idea of of being put in a box that's also something that's like been really bothering me for a while. So like everything, everything has to be categorized. Everything has to be boxed in this country. Like just to, to say like, just when you talk about race, when you talk about identity, when you talk about gender, you have to take boxes, right? You get a form and there's so many people that don't fit into those like four boxes. Um, and it's the same. And that's kind of, like that's just been something that's been on my mind for a while. And, and like reading, reading women, class and race kind of like 
it has nothing to do with the boxes, but it makes like the process of like why there's boxes so much more clear. Just the way she breaks it down and she the way she breaks down the American society. And I thought it was really interesting, but also really like aggravating at the same time because it's fucked up. Um, but but yeah, that's been Angela. Having having spent a lot of time outside of the United States, like it was that something that you ever noticed, like going back and forth between the U.S. and Israel? Or what do you mean? Um, well, you you were you were mentioning like uh, like the the box, and I, I guess Angela Davis is kind of speaking to American society, mm-hmm. and so maybe just like through your experience, like what's do do you feel like that's a unique experience to living in America, or do you, do you find that to be like also maybe? Um, part of your experience uh, spending time in Israel? Yeah, I mean, it's what Angela is talking about is unique to the American society because it's talking about the structure of the American society and why it's like that, starting mm-hmm. from slavery and um, the the like the space. Specifically, she talks about just like, you know, um, of course, women, race and class, but like how being a woman plays into racism and classism and how like, I think the first chapter of the book talks about how like black women um, when they were enslaved, how they kind of like the society roles got stripped from them because they had to go out to work. And then like the, the, the class, like um, the class part plays into that because like the house, um, the, the household, like head of the household thing kind of got shifted around in the black household when these families were enslaved. And that was like, that's how the book starts, basically. So that that didn't happen, like, in Israel. You know, we didn't have that. That has So that's, of course, specific to the American society. Now, growing up in Israel, I never had to put a box. Never, no one ever asked me to take a box about anything. I think it was more, it was like, married or single, like, male or female. Like, I never had to take a box based on, like, what I looked like. So that was a very new experience for me coming to the United States and being like, oh, well, like, what do I do? Um, <laughs> what does this mean? Um, so Capitalism, baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, like in Israel, they took away. I mean, but Israel, it's got its own messed up things. And she talks about a lot of she talks about the um, Israeli-Palestinian, like, you know, the whole, that whole thing in other books of hers that um, I haven't dive, I have yet to dive into in depth, but, um, but yeah, Israel's like, it's a whole other structure. It's a, it's a country that doesn't separate church and state. So it's a Jewish and democratic state and it's, um, that's its definition. So like that comes with a lot of other stuff, but but you can't really apply what we know about American society to Israeli society. It's just, it's a different process. It's a different history, but not to say that there isn't racism, classism, and like sexism in Israel. It's just, it just comes out in a different way. So yeah, America's weird. And the more I learn about it, the more I'm like, ah. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> to say it's a whole, yeah, the whole identity thing is like, I guess it's a whole, it's a whole conversation. Um, I don't yeah. know if you guys want to have that, but it's a conversation. No, I mean, I think, I think in America, they just had to figure out a way to separate people. Yeah. You, you know, and it just, absolutely, in order to rule them, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because they used to not be a white person. They used to be Irish and Italian and this and that, whatever. And then they said, you know what we can do? Yeah. We call everybody white. Let's just call it, let's just call it something else. 
yeah, and then we can group these people and make these people not like those people, and then we can control them better that way. Absolutely. And and that's basically what happened. You know, I mean, in Israel, in Israel, they kind of do it, but it's 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 done with like religion because it's like, oh, like we're a Jewish country, so we're gonna we're gonna other the people that are not Jewish because like it's a Jewish country. But it's right. not it's not because of it's not necessarily like your skin color or like. We don't really use the word race because the word race has um has a Holocaust association because Hitler used the word race. So the word race is racist um, in its. So we don't use it. We don't nobody asks you what your race is because that's like a fucking that's like a very racist thing to do because that's what Hitler did. Like mm-hmm. and then you get into this whole argument of like, is being Jewish a, an ethnicity or is it a religion? And that's like. This is a whole whole other conversation. <laughs> um, so anyone on, on five chords, on dominant sorry. chords, uh, <laughs> are you a fan of the altered scale? But but you but you know what, man? Like all all of this, this is this is all good to know because sometimes maybe our listeners don't know this, but it, all this stuff informs your music. Mm-hmm. It does. You know, gr- growing up in Israel, dealing with that system, and then coming to an American, having to adjust and being like, wait, it's like it's I'm, been a struggle, like. Like, clearly, I'm white, but I'm also an Israeli person. And it's just like you come into a country that constantly wants to strip what makes you special, like, as an outsider. Hmm. And it's unfortunate because, like, you know, people that Black people don't know, don't necessarily know their ancestry and their ethnicity and, like, you know, where, and it's just, I don't know, it just all sucks um, in the whole. But, like... But like as someone who didn't grow up here and as an outsider, it's just like, like, I never just know, I just never know how to fill the boxes because like, I don't like, what even is being white? Like, what does that even mean? Is it like, is it a, is it a cultural thing? Because hmm. if it's a cultural thing, like I'm definitely not white. <laughs> like that is like, if it's a cultural thing that, that's like white people are these people that grew up in the United States and this is their culture. And these are these, tra- their traditions that they do. Then like, I'm gonna say some, yeah. Say it. Say gonna. what you say. <laughs> say what you can say. I'm curious. I'm, I'm gonna save it. Okay. <laughs> gonna save it for what? We got. We, come on, let's go. But but then it's like, but you know, but if you're if you're purely looking at like, okay, where did your ancestors come from, or like, what do you look like? Then it's like, yeah, of course. But then it's just like, well. Israelis have such a broad like look to them that like some people can be really dark, some people can be really light, depending on like where their families immigrated from. So it's like, but growing up there is like what makes you be like, okay, I'm Israeli. This is my identity because I grew up in this place, right? So then it's like, is this your ethnicity? Is this your, like what? What even like what are you? Yeah, it seems like maybe like the box is like the beginning, middle, and end of the conversation right there, and yeah. and it's not necessarily about finding solutions, but more so like having conversations and and yeah. understanding that there's so much in life that's fluid and doesn't necessarily fit within a box. Yeah, and it's not just you know, and I've I've had these conversations with a lot of people that are also not from the United States, like me and a friend who's from Puerto Rico, and she's like, um, you know, she has. She's also like her dad's black and I think her mom is like from like, I guess, a Spaniard descent in Puerto Rico. But it's just like so like having certain cultures, cultures disown, like dismiss one part of you um, and accept another and like vice versa. And it happens in a lot of places and a lot, especially like 
a country like Israel, which is like a fairly new country. Um, and also, this is also something that was like, just has always been on my mind growing up because like my parents are American and like, I always had two passports and like my parents like never changed our names on our American passport. So I always had like two last names that meant the same thing. So it was like, well, you're not Israeli enough because you weren't born in Israel. Um, but you're not American because like you didn't grow up here. Like you don't know anything about America. So it's just like, well, who do you choose to be? Who, who are you going to be? Like, what are you? But so, okay, I guess you're both. But then when you, when I come to America, people are just like, oh, you're not, you're just this. Like, don't try to convince me otherwise. And it's kind of like, huh? Well, you know, it's funny, like you say that, but speaking on my personal experience too, like having like a, a, a mom and dad from Switzerland and France mm -hmm. and never really, like not really feeling American, but you know, a lot of the things you said resonated with me, but you know, the conclusion I came to in my life is that that actually was like the greatest blessing in my life to not have anyone define who I was. And, you know, it, while there was a long time where I felt like I was lost and didn't know where I came from, that was also like an opportunity to kind of define myself. And as opposed to just be like, yeah, well, you know, my, my great grandfather was in the Confederacy and that's who I am. End of story. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's just like to circle back to like the question, I guess. <laughs> um, this is, it's, it's just taken me like a long time to kind of, to just be like, this is it. Like here, I'm all of these things. And like, you know, don't try to, and with this music is kind of, it was kind of just like, this is, this is it like this is what it is like I don't I'm never gonna totally fit in any of your boxes and like it's fine it's cool like I don't really want to anyway absolutely I don't want to it's impossible it's impossible, it's impossible. and that like for everybody yeah I mean I remember even like applying trying to like do an Israeli showcase and they're like oh your music isn't Israeli enough <laughs> like oh, it doesn't sound like like it's like it sounds and then I you know come to America and they're like Mm, you need to be more American because like you'll get more work that way. <laughs> it's just like, it's just like, stop telling me how to be. It just, it took, but it like, it took me like a long ass time to, to come to a place where I'm just like unapologetically like myself. Um, Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And I, I think that's like the whole purpose, <laughs> purpose of life is for us to just you know, I, I like the closer you get to thirty, the cl the more you're just like, ah, fuck it, this is yep. who I am. Ah, I fart. You hit sometimes. thirty and you're like, like <laughs> I'm done, and I'm yeah, done. I'm done, <laughs> I'm done with y'all. But I did. You you said something that that I thought was beautiful, and I, I just want to read this, and then I want to get exact hear exactly what you what you thought or mm -hmm. what you think about it now. And you said being alive is a gift, um, and it's worth celebrating. And, just can you just expound on that because that's profound. I mean, yeah. Um, being alive comes with a lot of um, really difficult things that we have to deal with. I guess, like it's not always, it's not always like great, <laughs> right? It can really suck sometimes. But it's like once you're gone, you're gone. You don't get to like, you don't get to read all the beautiful things that people write about you on Facebook after you die. Um, 
and you don't get to see the aftermath. So it's like just being alive should be celebrated. Like the fact that I can like wake up tomorrow is like, you know, you should give thanks to that. But um, I guess that's kind of what I meant. Hmm. That's beautiful. Oh man, that really got me when I read it, Greg. You know, when I see you, Greg, I'm gonna hug you and I'm gonna say that to you, all right? Well, we're gonna have to stay six feet away because I'm not trying to get sick. <laughs> I'm vaxxed, man. Right. I'm vaxxed. Don't worry about it. I'm Darren vaxxed. had something to say earlier, though. Yeah, Darren, what were we gonna say? Uh, uh, I'm, come I'm, on. I'm, when we get off air, I'm gonna tell y'all. But before, oh, before come I, on. I, all I these play, people I, watching and they're never, nah, they're not nah, gonna know. No. They, 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 gonna. The secret to life right here. You're holding it. Yeah, holding yeah I mean, tell them, I man. do say, uh, I said all that stuff, but like, you know, I, I do understand the structure. Like, I, I very much understand the structure of, of our society and like, you know, how it's built and um, the systemicness of it and, you know, and what certain people get out of it and what other people don't. And like, it's just, it's more just like saddening to me, I think, like emotionally. It's like mentally you understand it, but like emotionally, I don't necessarily agree like or understand. It's not just like, well, that's how it is. Um, because that's how I was taught my whole life. It's more just like, well, why is this like this? This is like, this shit's driving me crazy. Why is it like this? I don't want it to be like this. Like, I don't want it. <laughs> it's more of like that kind of emotional response. Um, so. Well, ho- hopefully by having conversations like this, we can continue to like, you know, maybe see, see reality a little clearer, see how we got here. And, and so. maybe through our actions, we can move out of it, you know? inspire yeah. inspire ourselves to celebrate like you were saying earlier you know i love that word and then by, our, by us having an opportunity to celebrate we can inspire others to do the same yeah let's let's play another tune you know we're getting close i, I want to yeah. play my favorite one kabucha okay. it's kabucha right kabucha kabucha, kabucha which kabucha. means it means pop pumpkin in japanese <laughs> oh damn yeah <laughs> pumpkin all right so we're gonna play this <laughs> next one y'all check it out
That must have been some good ass pumpkin pie right there, dog. That's Woo! all. I- <laughs> hey. Kombucha. Oh, yeah, that's what's up. That was beautiful. Thank you, Dan. That is so sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that Greg, Greg uh, in the comments said that that was a big boy clarinet. He just got him <laughs> once. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Why did you name it pumpkin? Um, well, Kusama has a thing with pumpkins. And um, there's an exhibit, um, like a room. Like she, she, she uses pumpkins in a lot of her art installations. So one of them was like a room with a giant pumpkin in it. And it was like black, it was yellow with like black dots. Um, and then um, a lot of, some of the, some of the compositions are just like a little bit more literal, like cage bird that we heard before is kind of just ties the, the con- concept of the record a lot more together. Um, but that one we just heard was, was a more literal like um, inspiration. So like, um, it kind of revolves around E, and E to me is yellow, and the room is yellow, and um, the pumpkin like installation was the inspiration. But, but really, um, the way I kind of did it was like she was. I found this poem where she was talking about pumpkins being these like divine beings, um, and she's like, because she she would write poetry too, and I found all these like in her autobiography. There's a lot of letters and poems and things that. Um, she wrote and then I, I found like a video of her reciting this poem and you know I don't speak Japanese so it all just it just sounds like rhythms to me um, so <laughs> kind of like just transcribed the rhythms and um and like worked off of that and kind of built that song based off of that but then I decided not to use um the sample the, in the original sample of like her reciting this poem for copyright reasons so our lovely friend Miki Yamanaka stepped in and recorded um, some freestyle in Japanese for me. Um, so thanks, Mickey. Yeah, shout out to Mickey, man. Mickey, yeah. Mickey's a badass piano she player. Is. Shout out and to also, Mickey. And uh, also, now she's a Japanese rapper. Kambucha. <laughs> Kambucha. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I love, I love the, uh, the instrumentation that you used and also like just Thank the you. way you're using all the sounds on that, that particular track. That's like just so beautiful, so oh, creative. Thank you so much. really killing. I... Bass clarinet, flute, and trumpet is like my my favorite. Yeah. My favorite combination of all times. So I remember hearing it on like a Gil Evans record and was like, <laughs> which, wait, which one? Is there um, a, I think it was like, track? it was um that one when where they do my ship on it. Um uh, Miles, Miles Ahead, maybe the yellow Miles Ahead. the yellow album cover. Um and then Check it was like out. I did, yeah, it was very like it had like the bass clarinets and the like the flugelhorn and like the flute combination like and there's some other stuff too but like that really stood out to me <laughs> this was like my my nerdy days at the beginning of new school and then um i remember like being obsessed with it and looking at the scores and like hmm. finding the scores and being like oh my god this is so cool one day i'm gonna write some music for that it's that and strings hmm. i think i just want to write like chamber music my whole life at the end of the day why, Why not? not? Right? Yeah. Why not? I mean, Why it's hard. Not? It's hard to take bands like that on tour, though. <laughs> the only challenge has been like this band is so big, um, as opposed to like a trio. But it's kind of hard to just play this music. I was thinking about maybe trying to do like a quartet version, but ah, fuck that. Yeah, no, take yeah, the whole band. Out. Take the whole band out. <laughs> yeah, we gotta find ways to like. 
to get this band on some festivals and some performing art centers and stuff. And so it can really be showcased as a project because I played it live for the first time in front of people and it was great. Um, we just did the, the same set twice, but I'm kind of like, I think this is more like a one set show kind of thing where people buy a ticket and sit through the whole thing and just like, you get like over an hour of music and that's, just, that's it. And then you leave with an experience. I feel like we when we have a part three, we can talk about bringing a band on the road. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a whole other like, God. right? That should, that, that should be a whole other episode with like someone who does it more than me. Because yeah, a quartet would not do that music any justice because it's, you know, again, like the, the arrangement and the, the composition just, you know, you need the instrumentation to really, to really hit like it's hitting on the record. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're working on it. I don't know. There's some things. There'll be some things at some point. <laughs> yeah, let, it, let us get out of the, uh, let us get out of the nether world, wherever the fuck know, we are right? right now. And then uh, <laughs> <laughs> we can, we can get, get ourselves back on the road. You bring, bit. bring your rhythm section on the road, get the other cats to zoom in. Ah. <laughs> and that's it. It's going to be the future of music. I'm telling you, there's going to be someone that's going to do that in the next year. They're going to have like, totally. they're going to bring out one person. There's going to be another cat and be somewhere else. God. <laughs> <laughs> ID, we we are coming to an end. And uh, per usual, I want to give you an opportunity to tell all the people where to buy your pumpkins, the ID signature <laughs> pumpkins, um, where they can buy your records and, and, um, and generally just yeah. connect with you. So Bandcamp right now is the best place. Um, they will be on the website really soon. I have CDs. I have like a very small amount of CDs for sale. Um, if anyone wants to buy a physical copy, um, I will have more merch and like vinyl and stuff like that dropping in the next couple months. So definitely like follow, follow Bandcamp page, my Bandcamp page and my social medias and stuff. And um, yeah, you can stream it if you want, but of course buying it is the best option. So support artists. Yeah. Okay, so you there you go. 5,000 plays on Spotify Wait, equals $1. Yeah. You could sell but one CD. In, Wait, I'll be right back. <laughs> All right. Come back. Uh, so while ID's coming back, y'all, so go, go to Bandcamp, check out her, uh, check out her record and download it, pay for it. Like Greg said, you can now, you can stream it 20,000 times. We make $1, but if you buy it for 15 bucks, we make 13 bucks. See? See how that that's works? It. That's That's Man, called back. Capitalism back. 101. Here it is. Yeah, you're right. And that's the thing, too, the- is like when you don't buy the record, you don't get to see that, like, you know, the whole creative process goes and like the music, you have the, the artwork, you got liner notes, you got everything. It's just a beautiful package. And yeah. if you ain't got a CD player like me, it don't matter. Just buy it and put it in the drawer. Yeah. And now you know you got it. There's going to be um, vinyl. The vinyl industry is a little backed up right now because of COVID and shipping and everyone's printing vinyl. So, but probably in the next few months, um, there'll be like a relaunch and you can buy us on a record too if you want. So go to ID. Oh, also, um, ID's got a signature shoe out. Um, and so you got to check on her Instagram for that. And you got you got some, some clothes mm-hmm. coming out. I right? do have some clothes coming out. I have... I do have some merch collaborations coming out. Um, um, then the first one, so I'm doing a, few, a, a two or three, t, 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 t be, to be determined. But um, the first two merch collabor- collaborations that are dropping um, with friends of mine that are amazing artists too. Um, the first one is going to be shirts and um, bucket hats. 
And those are going to come out. They'll be available for pre-order really soon. We're working on it, probably in the next month. Um, hopefully by the end of the month um, or beginning of September. And then um, there's also going to be some cool jewelry merch um, collaboration with a, a friend and be vinyl and... I don't know. What about what, what what about the uh this is not a this is not a viol like viola. What what was it? Oh, this is not, it's a, not cello. a cello. Yeah. It's not a cello, it's still available. <laughs> okay. So during the pandemic I made hoodies that say it's not a cello and hats and pins because I just got really annoyed at humanity for always being like, Is that a cello? Apparently it's <laughs> all bass players get that all the time. Um people that don't play bass get that all the time. So you can still buy. I think I still have five beanies left. Um, they can't. So wait, where where do they get that from? Your website? Um, website or Bandcamp? Okay. Everything dot com. Ad. What is it? Admyersonmusic.com. There you go. And then right, I think Admyerson on Bandcamp. There you go. All right, Ad man, thank you so much for coming on the Working Artist Project. Thank you. Thank for you so much for guys. joining us. Thank you, Ad. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. My name is Darian Douglas. And my name is Gregory Ajit. Y'all go check out the new record. We'll catch y'all later. Peace.